When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time for MC's players under pressure. Let's start with the Dragons. Yeah, so you, you look at the Dragons side and, you know, if they're any hope of doing anything this year, it's going to be off the back of Ben Hunt. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to look at, Young Terrell Sloan at at fullback. He's now played thirty six games. Um, he he's twenty one and he he spent this off season being challenged by coach Shane Flanagan um, to develop a, a tougher edge. Um, there's no doubt in Sloan's game. You you look at the way he plays and he's just so brilliant with the football and he can do some things that you go okay. This guy's got tremendous upside and you just want him to. Um, find his his groove consistently because he could be a game changer for the Dragons. Where he needs to work is off the ball. Uh, and that's um, defensively organizing the defensive patterns, his collision um, when returning the ball, going in for a, a loose ball or a bouncing ball or um, whatever the case may be. And if he can find that, I think he's got some upside to be a tremendous fullback and a a real player that can lead this dragon side out of the uh, the dumps of where, where they're sitting at the moment to become a, a top eight hope long term. Not not in twenty twenty four, but yeah. um, if, if they can find a way to ignite Terrell Sloan, he he's just a a talented player off yeah. contract as well. David Riccio had. Um, a story in uh, in the paper over the last couple of days saying that they're about to start renegotiations with him, which which is great. Um, but uh, you know, Sloan, untapped talent. We've seen glimpses of it. Yeah. Um, if he can find a way to to put that all together, I think he's he's got a real opportunity to be a a decade long fullback for the Dragons and a position that they just haven't found any continuity since. Really, you know, Ben Hornby had a long stint there. Darius Boyd had successful three years there. But since then, they just haven't found someone to, to play week in, week out there. Yeah, flashes of Matt Dufty over the years as well. Yeah, it's, yeah you're absolutely right. He's an enigma. It, you see the upside, you see the talent, and you're thinking to yourself, every time a mistake is made or, you know, <laughs> in a big moment that in the wrong position or not yeah. covering where he should be in defense, things like that, or drops a high ball, it's, it's frustrating because you know you could – like I'm just speaking from a fan's point of view, not mm. an expert by any means, but you can you watch and you can see this guy could be anything. Yeah, and Shane Flanagan knows that, and you know he he sustained an injury in in the Koori knockout, which delayed um, Flanagan's plans for him, and it was all about mental 
toughness and, and building some resilience because you know there's there's sometimes you you watch him go into contact and it's it's very rare to see a first grader hesitate in contact just yeah. won't do that at times mm. you know and if Shane's one of his greatest tests is getting the best out of Sloan yeah. and showing that improvement. I'm going to be really interested to see how he performs in the trials games. There's been suggestions that he's, he's going to swap at times, potentially Zach Lomax and they're going to switch positions and maybe that will be enough to take some pressure off him um, as he builds and, and, and finds a way. And it's always hard for a young player um, to, to come into a struggling side. And that's what he's been faced with, you know, um, but Ben Hunt's there. Kyle Flanagan is, is there to help direct the team around. So he should just be able to run. And if they can try and find a way to get into some open space with, with Suley and, and, and Lomax, then they've got a little bit of strike there, the Dragons. But Sloan, I hope he does well because he's got all the talent and the Dragons really need him to perform. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you've been doing this since when did you start? Start of the week? Was it Monday yeah, that you did last the first one? Week, maybe. maybe last week. Um, we need to do the Warriors. You've spoken about the Dragons at length. Uh, we spoke about them a little bit yesterday with Roman Fiatala Mariner. But the Warriors, I'm, I'm really interested to see who you pick here because mm. there's a few candidates. Yeah. I've gone for on a guy at the other end of his career is Roger Tulvasa-Shek for, for multiple reasons. Yeah. There's no doubt. Like Roger was one of my favorite players to watch when, when he came, when, when he was playing um, for the Warriors, obviously started at the Roosters, but when he was at the Warriors and, you know, helped, really was a one-man show at times for, for that side, won a Daily M and was one of the competition's best players, made that switch um, to the All Blacks and, and just didn't have that success that, that he would have wanted. Um, but players coming back from a different coat always take some time to find their feet. Not only that, he's going to play a different position. So he's going to play in the centres. And I like that call from Andrew Webster to give Chance Nicol Cooks that that number one jersey because he deserved it. And um, he was outstanding last year for the Warriors. But coming into a Warriors side off the back of success, uh, off the back of not playing league for you know almost two years, off the back of switching positions, there's a lot there for Roger to unpack. Yeah. Um, but if they can get him for I don't have the Warriors in my eight. Which was a tough really? call. Really, it was a tough call, right? Because I was I was looking at sides to to get in and, and and get out, and I found they were they were really tough, right? So one of the hottest teams in the league to finish last year, they yeah. were on a heater. Yeah, and everyone, if you didn't go for if your side was out of the eight, you were cheering for the Warriors. Yeah, because they were just the the feel good story of of last season. So. It's, if they make the eight, I'm not going to be surprised. So th- th- they were a tough one for me. I had them and the Raiders outside the eight. The Raiders were easy for me to not to put in the eight. Yeah. And I think I had South and Manly in uh, from sides that um, had to drop out of uh, and make way for last season. So, um, but yeah, Roger Tulvasashek comes into a side that there's expectation on them now. And the expectation of, you know, there hasn't been a lot of negative movement for them. They brought Capewell in. And they've brought two of us a check in. Yeah. So their expectation is that they're going to improve. The Warriors playing with the expectation is not something they've done well in the past. Um, Sean Johnson, I doubt he can play any better than he did last season. If he can get to that level again or even get near that level, that'll be a major win for the Warriors. But yeah, I think um, Roger heading into that role, he's one of the 
you know, him and Sean Johnson are the faces of rugby league in New Zealand. So there's that expectation. So um, I think that's why Roger um, coming back into the game will have, have a, a bit of pressure on him. Yeah, fair call. So we've had Roger Tuovasashek for the Warriors, Terrell Sloan for the Dragons. We had a text come in on the Edgewater Homes text line 0457 736 736. Firstly, what do you guys think about these players under pressure? Give us your opinions too. MC, surely there's press, pressure on Kyle Flanagan as well. There is, but there's a different type of pressure on, on Kyle, I guess, because, you know, Kyle doesn't have the upside of Sloan. You know, Sloan, I, I think, can be a genuine superstar if he can piece it all together. Uh, Flanagan's role is going to be simplistic in a way. He's going to, you know, kick and, 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 and try and take some organisational pressure off Ben Hunt, but he's not going to be a game changer like I think Sloan can be. Yeah. Fair call. Fair call. What do you think? one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line. We've been talking all sorts of players under pressure within the NRL. We're going to talk to Rabbitohs CEO Blake Solly not long after 8 o'clock and former Australian captain Tim Payne as well. Sorry, Blake Solly before 8 o'clock. Mm. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of sports this morning. We've got the Australian Cricket Awards coming tonight. The ODI series kicks off Uh Less than 30,000 fans expected at the MCG for the ODI series opener. Uh, Australia versus the West Indies at the MCG. That's on Friday. And when you think about ODI cricket, I mean, a long time ago, we're talking 20, 30 years, there used to be 70,000 plus at the MCG every time Australia played a game there. Where do ODIs sit for you? And that's a question for you, the listener, mm. as well. Um, tell us what you think, because 30,000 fans, I think, sits about right with me. Yeah. Because of context, because it's the West Indies away from home. I think if we're playing India or Pakistan with a huge sort of expat, a growing South Asian population, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, you would get forty to 50,000 every time India or Pakistan walk onto the field. And does it matter in terms of where they schedule it in terms of summer as well? Because now we're at the end of the cricket season a little bit. So there's a little bit more fatigue in terms of um, the general public who, who are watching it. You know, they've, they've stumped up for test cricket. They've stumped up for big bash. You know, if it's at the start of the summer and we haven't had a lot of cricket, then maybe the excitement levels are there, but you know, no doubt it's right. What you're saying, Copes, in terms of wind is on a draw card. Australia's not playing a full-strength side either, don't forget, um, yeah. with, with a lot of big guns out. Obviously, no more David Warner who will put bums on seats as well. I One day, I, I'm a traditionalist, and you know, I'll go test one, one day two, and, and um, T23 in terms of my order of preference in terms of watching and um, uh, watching cricket. So, But I think a 30,000 crowd is still decent. Yeah, I'm interested in your opinion. one 736 Where does ODI cricket fall in the pecking order? Big Bash, T20 Internationals, Test Cricket. Uh, very interested to see what the turnout is on Friday. We'll ask Tim Payne where he sits on that topic as well as the Australian Cricket Awards. Tonight, the Allen Border Medal and the Belinda Clark Medal. Who will win those uh, I didn't ask you before what your tips were before we get into mine a little later. 
who who are you thinking might win those awards? I was going to be guided by you a little bit. Okay. Um, if you don't have a formulated you, you opinion, no, because you are the the expert on on this. So I'll um I'll pick apart your choice tomorrow after you make, make the wrong one. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, <laughs> ben Horn is Mitchell Marsh at the top of the list with Usman Kawaja. And then Belinda Clark medal, Elise Perry and Ash Gardner at the top of the list there as well. Uh, a couple more texts. Pedro the Rooster says, I reckon Kyle will be the perfect foil to free Hunt to do what we all know he can do. It's an interesting point. Uh, Frank says, Nico Hines under pressure has not cut it at rep level yet and hasn't won a final for the Sharks. Big pressure, Frank mm. the Shark Tank. Interesting points. There's a, a great segment there. NRL players under pressure from MC. <laughs> well done, mate. Yeah, you, you bring it every day. Uh, and, yeah, not bad today. Oh, Terrell Sloan, Roger Tuovasashek. There's plenty more to talk about. After the break, we're here for Brighton's Lawyers. Unable to work due to injury or illness? Contact Brighton's Lawyers. Stay with us. In just a moment, we've got Hammy Goodman from Sportsbet. He's going to hone in on some of the Taylor Swift Super Bowl markets. You won't want to miss that, particularly you, Charles. SEN Summer Brekkie, Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis with you. Just gone 7.44 a.m. here in Sydney. Then there's lots of stories that we've been talking about this morning. We've had some great reaction on the text line 0457 736 736. And get to us on the open line 1300 01 1170. Time now to talk a bit of rugby league with Blake Solly, South Sydney Rabbitohs CEO with the Vegas trip on the horizon. Blake, good morning to you. Good morning, Trent. Good morning, Michael. How are things going in terms of the plans for Vegas? It's, a, it's one of those things that it feels like it's been talked about for eight months and we're almost there. How are things coming along? Yeah, it's, it feels like it's been talked about for a long time and... Um, <laughs> We're less than three weeks away from boarding the plane to LA and then San Diego. So um, it's come along very quick. Look, I think the plans are um, in good shape. We had a very good meeting with Peter and Andrew last week and raised some of the challenges we were facing and they've done a good job in addressing some of them, particularly around the visas for, for the players and making sure that the best players can get on the field for round one in Las Vegas and um, helping us with some of the other uh, details that we just needed around training grounds in Vegas and um, travel schedule. So I think now from the four clubs' point of view, we're ready to go and we just want to make sure that the event is as good as it can be. Blake, what clarity have the NRL given? Oh, and I think it was recently as, as yesterday, there was probably another phone hookup between the CEOs and the NRL. Where's where's that at in terms of clarity for, for visas and are they 100% confident that everyone will be able to play around one? Uh, I wouldn't say they're 100% confident, but they're very confident. They um, have helped us um, with the application process. They're going to expedite um, the visits to the US consulate for any players who um, need to get a visitor visa rather than just entering under an ESTA. So um, from that respect, they've, they've put their shoulder to the wheel and given us every indication that uh, the players will all be able to get visas. Their initial advice is they don't think that any player should be denied entry into the US at this stage. So um, we've just got to follow the process that the NRL has set down and, and hopefully get uh, the boys their visas as soon as possible. 
It, with regard to when you actually land in Vegas, Blake, can you give us some insight on, we obviously know that the game will go ahead, you know, it, on the field, but what's it like in terms of from arrival into Vegas? What is the lead up, the facilities you'll be using? Do you have a high performance facility like a college football place that you're going to be using? Can you give us some insight there? Yeah, um, we do our acclimatisation camp in San Diego. I think the Broncos and the Roosters are in LA and Vegas um, is hosting the Seagulls. So we'll get to Vegas, I think, on the Wednesday before the game. We'll train on the Thursday at this stage. We're scheduled to use the uh, Vegas Raiders facility and the UFC gym. I think all clubs are using the UFC gym through the partnership with the NRL. And there's a host of uh, promotional activity on um, over those three days as well. So when the players are um, training, the, the rest of the club will be out and about and singing the gospel of uh, rugby league in Vegas. So there's a fan day um, down at Fremont Street on the Thursday. Um, there's a corporate lunch on the Friday. There's a, a sports management, sports business conference on the Friday morning as well that the NRL are hosting. So I think from that point of view, we're trying to make sure that uh, there's as much activity during the course of that week to talk about rugby league both on and off the field and sell the game to the US market. Aside from visas, which is obviously a, a big obstacle, is there anything left that, that needs to be sorted before you guys hop on a plane in, in a couple of weeks' time? Uh, not really. I think there's some uh, ins and outs around the hotel and um, the training venues that just need to be finalised. But um, again, I think this is such a huge undertaking, taking four clubs to the US for a game. There's always going to be um, some issues like that uh, at this stage. I think anyone who's ever been involved with an international touring team will say the same thing. Um, it's when you get on the ground and everything settles that you kind of find out all of the detail. But we're going to do as much we can do as much as we can to get as much detail finalised. But it, it really, it's only um, dotting I's and crossing T's now, and it's all about making sure that. We use the next three weeks in Australia and our um, trial games to get the team in the best shape they can for heading over to the US. How have the players, I'm assuming there's a sense of excitement from the players now. You probably haven't been asked as many questions from the playing group before about updates around Vegas. Yes, they're pretty excited. I think there's probably a few of them that are nervous. They just want to get on that plane. And um, and in some ways it's, it's added a bit of intensity to... I suspect all four clubs pre-seasons, right? Everyone wants to get on that plane and play in that round one game and um, and represent the club and represent the game on a big stage. So it certainly added a bit of intensity and a bit of excitement to our pre-season and likewise off the field. We've had a lot of our members and our fans and supporters and corporate partners really interested in going over and booking their tickets and booking their flights. So um, Peter says it's, I think, the um, most high-profile initiative he's ever been involved in and it certainly feels like that on a day-to-day basis at the club too. On the field, not the way you wanted to finish last season. What areas have, have the coaching staff identified to try and and get you guys back into that top eight? Yeah, it was, it was a disappointing finish, there's no doubt about that. And um, one of the, um, I suppose, the, the benefits of it is it gave us a full pre-season for the first time in six years. We've made uh, five prelims and a grand final in the, in the run-up to uh, the 2023 season. And this year, we actually had the opportunity to have all our players back when pre-season started uh, in previous years with grand finals, prelims and international series. We haven't had some guys like Damian Cook or Latrell Mitchell back until January. Um, they were back at the start of November. So 
one of the things that the coaching staff, um, and particularly led by Jason, were keen to know with our pre-season. We wanted to make sure that the players were as fit, uh, strong and fast as they could be coming into round one. And with a full pre-season, we're pretty confident we've been able to do that. Um, so that was one real positive we had to take out of what was otherwise a disappointing 2023. We got the players an opportunity to give them their best preparation they've had, some of them in their whole time at the club. What about the arrival of Jack Whiten, mate? It, it's obviously hugely reported, hugely significant with the club in terms of recent movements. He's about as big as it gets in terms of coming from the Raiders to the Rabbitohs. What are you seeing from him in pre-season, but also the optimism of what he can bring to the team for 2024? Yeah, you only have to look at what Jack achieved at the Raiders and, and his contribution to that club to know what he brings. He's a competitor on the field. He's a a leader off it. Um, we were very lucky in some ways to sign him and he was ready for a change after um, you know, a massive contribution a long time in Canberra and uh, came to us and I think speaking to guys like Campbell Graham, Cameron Murray, Latrell and Cody before we signed him, they said that he would bring a lot, not only on the field, but his um, composure and his leadership off it and everything that we've seen from him in the preseason has stacked up with their 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 um, assessment of him before we signed him. He just brings so much to the club. He's a very decent person, family man off it, off the field and um, an absolute competitor on it. And um, we can't wait to see him on the field in that round three game against the Roosters at Allianz. And just finally, Blake, GI, Greg Inglis in the West Tigers colours. How, how does that make you, make you feel? Oh, it was a bit of a shock, but to be fair, Greg uh, hasn't um, done any full-time work for us since 2020. He's been around the club. And, and look, at Richo and Greg share a very close relationship, and I can understand why Richo would want to get um, Greg in to mentor and assist Jerome. He's um, a hell of a, a player, Jerome. He's clearly developing, and... Um, like any young player where you can get an ex-player or a great like Greg in to help mentor them and help them develop, it's a good idea. And, and I'm sure Greg will make a big contribution at the Tigers, just like he did on the field and off the field at South. Blake, uh, thanks so much for your time this morning. South Sydney Rabbitohs CEO, you've got a few passports to get stamped before <laughs> you can absolutely sit back and enjoy, but it's going to be a hell of a ride the next couple of weeks. I hope it all goes well. No, thanks, Trent, and thanks, Michael, and thanks for having me on the show. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for joining us. SEN Summer Brecky, Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis with you this morning in the chairs for Vossi and Brandy. The boys are back February the 12th, Monday, February the 12th, Super Bowl day. Vossi and Brandy will be back in Studio MC. It's been an interesting morning. We've been talking about Wayne Bennett throwing his hat into the ring in the New Zealand coaching job uh, and talking to people about their opinions, including yours on if Aussies should coach other national teams to try and scheme up and beat Australia. We might talk to Tim Payne about that in a cricket context. He's coming up, the former Aussie skipper. He'll be with us in a few minutes' time to talk all the ramifications of the test loss to the West Indies at the Gabba. 
and the upcoming ODI series, the Australian Cricket Awards that are on tonight, and plenty more. 0457 736 736 is the Edgewater Homes text line and the open line 1300 01170. There's a bit of audio yesterday that we played off the top of the show mm. out of six o'clock. You wanting to run through this again? I think so. I think, I, I think we want to hear the full audio. So this was off the back of, of Jimmy Smith um, coming back from, from holidays and coming back with a bang and, and wanting to reduce test matches from five to four days. And you had your say. You disagreed with it uh, on the show yesterday morning. And then when Jimmy returned to the hot seat at midday, he had his say again. How the hell would Trent Copeland know? He's a failed wicketkeeper who's now transitioned into being an NRL super coach, Nuffy. No, I'm kidding. I actually have a great deal of respect for what Trent's got to say. However, I still disagree. How, if you have five days of test cricket and you lose a portion to rain, then you still need sporting declarations at times to make them competitive test matches. How is that going to be different? So your rebuttal... It's flawed. It's flimsy. Somehow you, you're not seeing the forest for the trees, Trent. Okay, that's just my thoughts against yours, and you're the former test cricketer, so I, I take all that on board. But let's get someone who does know their sport intrinsically. The final thought from Dennis Carnahan. I've got a challenge for you. Oh, please. We need a Trent Copeland song at some stage. Well, I've got to say, Trent Copeland was this close to being in the show. Oh, really? I've been so taken by his commentary and by the gangliness, so I had this <laughs> The gangliness. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. Yeah, Jim, I couldn't believe it either. That Trent fella basically called you a flog. That's exactly what he called me, 397. Jimmy, I want to see a fight. Smith v. Copeland. The thriller, that's vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad, Matt. And Rooster Man comes up to me and goes, Trent, two, Jimmy, zero. Anyway, look, my thoughts on that. Oh, dear. We're in the it's boxing on. ring. Uh, very good. I fully encourage all of that. And our next guest is likely to add to that. Throws punches at me left, right and centre every time I see him. It's former Aussie skipper. Tim Payne, SEN Tassie host as well. We love your work down there. Payne, good morning to you. Good morning, gents. Thanks for having me on. What are your thoughts on the five days v four days test match stuff? Oh, I don't think you even have to ask me, Coach Steve. <laughs> we know five days of test match. Yeah. That's why it's called a test match. and That's the difference between that and, and first-class cricket. Um, and if you can give me a good reason, then I'm all for it, but... Um, I heard Jimmy talk about sporting declarations. I don't think, you know, it's good in theory, but I think if, you know, let's talk about a Bangladesh or someone that comes to Australia, they aren't going to be... A draw for them would be a great result. Mm. Um, they're not going to be trying to declare. I think it would actually make the game slightly even more uh, boring, if you like, for those people who want it to be more entertaining. I think the fifth day of Test cricket is often the most entertaining when the pitch is wearing and it's difficult for batters. So, um, you know, like you, I, I love the five days. I'd like to see it stay at that. We we had a good discussion yesterday morning off the back of your comments, Tim, where um, you were critical, I guess, of, of former players supporting or openly cheering for the, the West Indies to win. We both agreed with what you said. Um, has there been any more fallout from from that? No, not at all. I mean, it's, you know, you guys work in the same industry. You know, we're there to talk about it and 
and have an opinion and, and we don't have to agree and people don't have to agree with what I have to say, but it's just something that I, I've felt a few times and, and certainly um, the end of the test match the other day, I, I could see again, I don't know what Copes thinks about it. I just feel sometimes whether it's a bit of, I'm, I'm not sure what it is. I just feel like sometimes some past players like to see this current Australian team lose. And again, I could be wrong, but it's just a feel I get um, at times. It's um, it's a difficult watch for me when you see that. And I get they're in commentary and they have to um, give praise of the opposition. Um, but yeah, when it tips over to a bit of barracking for me, it's, it's a bit disappointing. Payne, my opinion was uh, I was sitting down ready for a walk-off interview with Shamar Joseph just before the last big break, and he already had Pfeiffer. And, you know, the whole magnitude of the situation, I found myself incredibly, you know, caught up in what was a moment in time in Test cricket. This was the start of something yeah. really special. I still wanted Australia to win, but I was watching yeah, greatness in front of me, and I was, I was literally just caught up in the beauty of Test cricket. That's where yeah. you know, I was in that mode, wanting just both teams to be doing great things right in front of me and seeing him yeah. five metres away at fine leg with tears in his eyes about what he was, you know, what was happening. Two years ago, he wasn't even yeah. playing cricket. So that's the magic yeah. of Test cricket, right? It is. And, and don't get me wrong, everyone, I think, enjoyed the contest um, and loved seeing the West Indies, or a little bit of the West Indies evolve, because it, it, it's going to be great for Test cricket if they can get there, and as you said, you're there seeing it, and you're calling it for what it is, but when it when it goes a little bit too far, and it's almost a, a wanting us to lose, or a barracking for an opposition team, I, I just find that a little bit hard to take, but no, other guys I think called it spot on, it, it, was, it, was, it was great viewing, it was entertaining, um, and, and his bowling and his spell was, was fantastic, and uh, his the whole story is brilliant. So from a cricket fan's perspective, uh, I get it. And from the networks wanting to sell that, absolutely, we've got to push it. Um, we want them to be great. We want other teams around the world to to improve. Um, but yeah, I just I, I don't like that sort of feel when it turns to to almost barracking against a team that you you once played for and were a huge part of. MC was sledging me yesterday because I was talking about how much I love the New Zealand national anthem. I was going to bring this up. <laughs> I was going to bring this up. Yeah, have you ever sat, sat there and, uh, well, particularly the New Zealand anthem, but just anthems in general where you, you caught up in New the emotion of the moment? Yeah, absolutely. In a way, Ashes, it's hard not to sing God Save the, well, as it is, King now, but God Save the Queen. And when the whole ground's singing it, uh, at times you kind of go, geez, hang on, I'm, uh, I'm actually playing in this game. And another one is, is, it's not as good to listen to, but if you play in, a, in front of a full house in India and the whole crowd is singing it, um, yeah, they're, they're, again, they're amazing moments that we're lucky to be a part of as, as test cricketers. I liked you before you started backing up Copes here, Tim. <laughs> uh, uh, wicket keepers look after each other. <laughs> wicket yes, keepers, yes. yes. Uh, just back on the the test match and, and the vibes around the West Indies and, and the fallout, I, I, I guess, do you think the performance by Australia has, has been glossed over a little bit because of um, there wasn't that hatred in the loss and, and people have sort of glossed over the, the Australians' performance because of the fact that there, there is this feel-good story about the West Indies? 
yeah, well, I think probably externally and through the media, it, it, it's been missed at how sort of disappointing our performance was as a team and, and to not be able to ride it over the, the whole test match against an opposition, which, let's be honest, we were we were far superior to, was, was disappointing. But I touched on it yesterday. I thought the team just looked a little bit tired, both physically and emotionally. And after a big 12 months for a number of those guys winning World Cups and World Test Championships and an away Ashes and... Um, lots of things happening in the last 12 months. It, it can happen and, and you don't sort of realise it's happening, particularly when it's um, that sort of emotional, sort of mental fatigue. Um, you sort of don't realise it probably until after the fact. So, um, yeah, I think it's been glossed over. I don't think the Aussies will gloss over it. I think, you know, I heard Pat got a bit of stick yesterday for his pre-game, but that's that's what he's got to do. He's got to come out and, and praise the West Indies for how well they played. He's not going to take the gloss off their victory by saying that, that they were poor, but I'm sure internally the Australians would, would know that they were well off um, the standards that they set themselves and, and know that that's a test match that they should have won. But they're not going to come out and and say that and, and take the gloss off what was a, a great win for West Indies. Yeah, well said. Uh, the bowling group largely performed pretty much up to expectations but I'm interested in your thoughts on the top six batters, Payne and heading into a, an away test series against New Zealand do you think the makeup will stay the same and uh, I guess that's where the questions lie, right? Yeah, I think it will stay the same I don't think, you know, I've been pretty clear with the Steve Smith, Cameron Green thing I don't think it was a, an experiment I think Steve Smith wants to do it and, and word is, they tell us through the selection and um, and comments that they made in the media that's something that he wants to do for um, the rest of his career. So, um, you know, I, I thought he batted beautifully in the second innings in, in tough conditions and without yeah. getting a lot of support. And uh, I think Cameron Green, guys that have seen what he can do at first-class level know that at some stage it's going to translate into international cricket. And I like that he's getting an opportunity to settle into a position. Uh, and I think, you know, people are... Uh, probably been a little bit critical of him, but if we can give him enough opportunity um, in the coming years, I think we're going to see a world-class uh, batter and bowler. And, and when you can get someone like that in your team, it, it can change the dynamic of uh, of the setup. So it's going to be really interesting to watch him. But um, you know, Coates bowling against him, he certainly got the ability. And, and yeah. people that have played first-class cricket or played test cricket with him know why he's continually going to get these opportunities because he's a once in a generation, and he can really change that team. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the coming series. Pat Cummins, almost everything that he's touched since he's taken over the captaincy has turned to gold. Mate, what have you made of, of his captaincy? And I guess the one criticism has been around the inability, I guess, at times to set plans or, or have plans in place to, to dismiss uh, the, the tail end. Oh, look, yeah, I think he's done a brilliant job, both him and Andrew McDonald. You can tell that that Australian team's a really happy, um, you know, really enjoyable place to be playing at the moment. And, you know, if, if the only criticism we've got of Pat is some field settings to the 9, 10, 11, then I think he's doing a, yeah, yeah. a brilliant job. And, um, you know, again, that's a frustration having been out there myself and you hear it in commentary, oh, they haven't got a plan. If, if people believe that the Australian cricket team are going out on the field without a plan, they're living in in a different world to Disneyland, me. Disneyland, yeah. Everything they do is planned to within a bloody inch of its life. So look, it, sometimes plans don't go your way. Uh, sometimes you don't execute them, and sometimes the opposition 
their plans are better than yours and they execute better. So, uh, look, I think the two of them as a combination, Pat and Andrew, have done an amazing job. And you can see with the trophies that they've pulled in the last 12 months that, um, you know, they've done a, a fantastic job and um, I think it'll continue. But, yeah, I think Paddy in, in particular has been brilliant in the way he's led that side. And, um, as I said, if the only criticism is some fields and a couple of plans to the tail, then... Um, that, that probably says enough about how good a job he's done. Payne, the Australian Cricket Awards on tonight, the Allen Border Medal, the Belinda Clark Medal. Uh, in the Daily Telly in Sydney today, Ben Horn's predictions, Mitchell Marsh, Usman Kawaja, Travis Head, David Warner, Pat Cummins all in the mix, and the Belinda Clark Medal, Elise Perry, Ash Gardner, Annabelle Sutherland, and numerous others. Uh, what are your thoughts on who might take it out tonight? Well, I don't think I've ever picked a winner in it. Because I don't understand how it, how it sort of overlays and what points count towards what. Uh, the Allen Border medal in particular is a difficult one, but I think Usman will probably win Test Player of the Year, won't he, if you yeah. um, go off what's just happened internationally. Uh, Travis Head is probably a good shout for, for one of the white balls, I think. But again, mate, oh, to be totally honest with you, the last six weeks I haven't watched much cricket. Um so I'm probably the wrong person to ask in, in that sense. But, um, oh, look, I'll back Ben Horn in. He's a good judge and he's watched a lot more cricket than I have in the last 12 months. Yeah, we've been discussing it in here. I think it, the, in the women's game in particular, it's largely the team is pretty constant. They play all formats. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. it's, you know, yeah, Elise yeah. Perry's had an incredible year. Um, yeah. But in the men's, I mean, Pat Cummins was named the ICC player of the year encompassing all three formats. So I, that's where yeah. my prediction lies when it comes to the Allen Border medal. I think Pat Cummins will win that. Maybe Mitch Marsh because of how well he's come back into the test fold. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Again, they've played so much cricket the men over that period of time. It's hard to actually keep a gauge. I need the numbers in front of me. Who's played how many games? Yeah. Well, they are. But again, I think the international awards are normally a pretty good um, side of what's coming up and um, let's be honest wouldn't be surprised if Elise Perry wins again she she cleans up in that yeah. thing and again as you said she's been the, the Australian women's team is so dominant in some of their teams it's hard for anyone outside of you know the top three batters or the, the opening bowlers to win it because they normally clean teams up and get the job done so um, it wouldn't be surprised if the winner comes from the top three of their um, of their batters either heels or um, or pairs again and just on the fact that you said you haven't watched much cricket over the last six weeks, Tim, what's going on there? No, no. Well, I've been involved in the Big Bash, so I, I kind of just focused on that. And then when you get to um, get home, I sort of tended to switch off a little bit. And um, it's certainly not like me. I'm a, I'm a massive cricket watcher, but um, as I said, well, I've sort of been back in working in the game. And then uh, when I've been at home, I've tried to sort of switch off and, and help out and be around a bit more rather than just sitting in front of the telly. So um, <laughs> try and get some brownie points at home and then um, kick it off again soon. We'll make sure our wives don't hear that bit. <laughs> <laughs> Painy, love your work, mate. Uh, you're doing great things on SEN Tassie as well as the Adelaide Strikers. Thanks for joining us this morning here on SEN Summer Brecky. Nah, no worries, Jens. Anytime. Breakfast is powered by Kubota for over 40 years. We've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together.
Welcome back. It's SEN Summer Brecky here with Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis this morning. Uh, the Aussie women's team, as they do so often, they win last night in the T20 against South Africa to take out the T20 leg of the multi-format series against South Africa, defeating the visitors yesterday by five wickets in Tassie at Blunston Arena in Hobart. Beth Mooney, she is an absolute superstar. Elisa Healy, Elise Perry, even Phoebe Litchfield these days getting all the headlines, but Beth Mooney, 82 from 55 balls. Ash Gardner as well gets all the headlines. Uh, and she often flies under the radar, but she's done it again for Australia. The other Aussie out there, Ben Simmons, made his return, long-awaited return into the NBA yesterday. 10 points, 11 assists, and eight boards. It's a man that, whenever he plays, he seemingly has an impact at the highest level in the NBA, but he just can't seem to stay Mm. healthy. There's all... Sorts of other sort of speculation around his performances. And Matty Logue has got a story on whether he will participate in the Paris Olympics for the Boomers. What do you think? 0457 736 736 and 1300 Should Ben Simmons play for the Boomers at the Paris Olympics? Uh, it's the 31st of January. It and is. as always, MC, you have come full of research mm. about what this day has meant over the years. What have you got? In 2020, Cobes, the UK formally completes Brexit, leaving the European Union more than three years after cu- the country voted to part ways. Okay. The late Steve Folkes was born on this day in 1959, a four-time premiership winner and coach of the 2004 Canterbury side. In 1999, this is a show that I really like. Family Guy, first airs in America. It seems today that all you see is violence in movies and sex on TV. But we're in those good old-fashioned values on which we used to rely. Are you a Family Guy man? I did enjoy it. I'm, I'm certainly not a... I've watched every episode, yeah. but... Very easy watching, mm. funny stuff. Yep, a- agreed. I haven't. It's not The Simpsons for me, like in terms of my Simpsons knowledge or the amount of episodes of, of The yep. Simpsons that I've watched. But I, I did enjoy uh, The Family Guy, and the Jackson Five scored their first number one hit in the U.S. on this day in 1970 with this one. Nineteen seventy. What a song, though. I mean, just before seven a.m. Sydney time, just before six a.m. in Brizzy. And speaking of that, 
If you're listening through SENQ 693am in Brizzy, we now say goodbye. Patton Hill's up next out of the break. If you're listening through SEN 1170am here in Sydney, plenty more to come. Stay with us. Straight after the news, we'll hear from Ryan Pappenhausen and how he's tracking with his return from injury. Thank you.